0: The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Paul
1: arrived among these people in the course of his missionary journeys and soon led a number of them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shortly after Paul's visit, a group of Jewish Christians arrived from Jerusalem denounced Paul's doctrines, and plunged the Galatian churches into confusion. When the news reached Paul, the Holy Spirit moved him to righteous wrath. His epistle is an explosion that combines rebuke and warning and leads us to assurance of the absolute certainty of our eternal position in Christ through sovereign grace.
0: The message we will be featuring on this week's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, No Other Gospel. The founding documents of our country, such as the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, express for us as citizens our rights, responsibilities, and liberties. For the believer, there is a letter which documents the Christian's liberties. That letter is what we begin to examine today. The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is Galatians chapter one and verses one through five. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with the message entitled, No Other Gospel. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come
1: unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. How we thank thee for thy redemption that thou hast given us in Christ, that it is by grace through faith plus nothing And how we thank thee that we can come with boldness to thee and that we can come because thou dost love us and because thou hast made the way through Jesus Christ and through him alone. Bless in this hour and use to thy glory the word that is spoken. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen. In the course of these next few weeks, we're going to have a rapid study of the book of Galatians. This is one of the greatest books in the Bible. I'm not treating it in tiny detail, but a great overall sweeping teaching so that in the course of the next two months, you can have a real grasp of this book just by listening moment by moment through the half hour each week. Now, Paul's letter to the Galatians is one of the most important documents in human history. It has been called the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty. The practical effects of this epistle reach into millions of homes. In fact, the epistle to the Galatians has a greater effect on how we live in the United States today than does the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution of our Republic. When you cross the border into Canada, you discover that our northern neighbors have as many liberties as we do without any Declaration of Independence and without our Constitution and its Bill of Rights. This fact shows that our liberties do not come from these documents, but that these documents are merely the expression of liberties that existed before the time of the founding fathers, who set them down in concrete form in order that men might enjoy these God-given freedoms. But the letter to the Galatians comes right down to our century and into our homes. If you ate ham or bacon today, It's because of the truths set forth in the epistle to the Galatians. Before the time of Christ, God's people could not eat pork. We can. Why? Because of the truths in the epistle to the Galatians. If you are wearing a garment made of mixed materials, it is because of the liberties set forth in this epistle. In the Old Testament times, a person could not wear any garment of diverse materials. All clothing had to be of one material, wool or linen, for example, but not wool and linen. Today, our clothes are made of coal tar, pine tree roots, sour milk, and who knows what. We have nylon, orlon, dacron, and wool, cotton and wool, or any other mixture that science can produce. In our kitchens, we may cook food in any pot or pan that comes to hand but our Jewish neighbors have one set of pans for meat and another set for anything that is cooked in milk. All of this stems from a verse in the Old Testament which says in Exodus 23 19 you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Now what freed the Christian world from the bondage of kosher cooking? The answer is found in the truths set forth in the letter to the Galatians. Let us look for a moment at the background of this epistle. Galatia was a Roman province in Asia Minor. When I first visited Turkey, I went to Angora, the capital. On a nearby hill three or four miles from the edge of the city lie the ruins of marble temples and the marketplace of one of the Galatian settlements. I sat on a fallen pillar, read this epistle, and thought about the people who lived there and the events which took place there. I looked out over the wide plain below and meditated upon Paul's travels and his ministry to this ancient people. The name Galatia comes from the Gauls, who migrated to Asia Minor from France long before the time of Christ. Their language had a kinship with Welsh and with that of the Celts of Brittany in France. Their character was somewhat like that of their modern cousins, quick volatile, eager, changeable. Julius Caesar described the Gauls of Asia Minor as eager and bold in a new venture, but lacking perseverance. According to Caesar, their soldiers were brave in a first assault, but could not carry through to final victory. They were always ready to learn, but were incapable of prolonged application. In other words, they were much like multitudes of people in our day and civilization. Paul arrived among these people in the course of his missionary journeys and soon led a number of them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then a strange thing happened. Shortly after Paul's visit, a group of Jewish Christians arrived from Jerusalem, denounced Paul's doctrines, and challenged his authority, and plunged the Galatian churches into confusion. When the news reached Paul, the Holy Spirit moved him to righteous wrath. His epistle, which we now begin to read and study, is an explosion that combines rebuke and warning with profound teaching and leads us to assurance of the absolute certainty of our eternal position in Christ through sovereign grace. Let us begin and read this epistle. Paul, an apostle, not from men, neither through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The apostle's righteous wrath does not permit him to write a lengthy introduction. There are no expressions of Christian affection for his readers. Truth is at stake, and his apostleship has been questioned. So at the start, he states his credentials. He is an apostle. He has not received his gifts from men, nor has he been sent by men. Over against man, he puts the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Here is the source of his authority. Between the lines, we find the Holy Spirit also. For when Paul mentions the fact that the Father raised the Son from the dead, he is also implying the ascension. The risen, ascended Christ showered forth the Holy Spirit and all the gifts that came with him. It should be noted that the epistle is not written from the church, but to the churches. This phrase begins all Paul's writings to groups of believers. In the Bible, the church does not teach. The church is taught. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. While Christ was on earth, he was the teacher. When he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the believers and teach them. Paul then bestows upon the Galatians a blessing from the Father and the Son and reminds them that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the American way of life. This is the heart meaning of the phrase, this present evil age. Or, if you live in Africa, Christ died to deliver you from the African way of life. This world exists for man's self-gratification, pleasure, pride, and personal profit. The primary problem is man's disobedience to God. It took the death of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring man back from his evil way to submission to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. We would all be astonished if a congregation of Christians became followers of Mohammed while their pastor was on a vacation trip to Palestine. Yet that's about what happened in Galatia. And it caused Paul's outburst in these verses. They had fallen from grace into law. For legalism in Christianity is a different religion, another gospel, from that which was preached by Paul. Just as different from Christianity as is Mohammedanism or Buddhism. We must remember that the Galatian Christians did not have the New Testament. In fact, Paul died before the four gospels were written. Paul never heard the Sermon on the Mount, nor did he ever read such great verses as, I am the Good Shepherd, and let not your heart be troubled. This was true of all the Christians of his day. These people lived in a spiritual age totally different from our own. Come to Jerusalem for a moment and watch the early disciples. What did they do during the week following the resurrection of Christ? Oh, you may be sure that on Saturday they went to the Jewish temple, doing what comes naturally. The veil was torn in two when our Lord died on the cross, but the priests sewed it up again and business went on as usual during alterations. The early Christians did not know enough to avoid the temple. And what did they do after Pentecost? Since they were of Israel, they did what they had done from childhood. Although they began to meet together on the first day of the week, some also continued wrongly to keep the seventh day and to circumcise their children. Though this religious rite had no more place in the plan of God after Christ died and rose again. As 20, 30, 40 years passed, the church at Jerusalem became practically a synagogue with a half-and-half belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The most terrible part of this lapse was that the Christians of Jerusalem wanted to force all professing Christians, even Gentiles, to live as the Israelites did. Actually, they wanted them to become Israelites, to accept circumcision, and to look toward Jerusalem as the center of faith. They did not realize that God was through with a building as his place of residence, and that henceforth he would live in the hearts of men. While he was here on earth, the Lord Jesus made provision for the freeing of his followers from the curse of the law. He announced, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now there have been those who have attempted to use this verse as the foundation of their claim to dispose of the souls of men. But this will not stand the test of the scriptures. No Greek scholar will ever apply this to people. It is neuter and applies to things and not to persons. And this was what Christ was talking about. The disciples understood this and met in Jerusalem for the first church council in order to put this command of Christ into effect. In the 15th chapter of the Acts, we have the account of the meeting. It should be noted that Peter was not the chairman of the meeting. That place was held by James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the son of the Virgin Mary by Joseph. Peter spoke, however, and said, Why do you make trial of God by putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? James summed up the arguments thus, Therefore my sentence is, and the Greek is very strong, I myself pass final judgment, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the pollutions of idols, and from unchastity, and from what is strangled. This was followed by letters to the churches which brought the name of God into the decision, wherefore it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And thus what was bound on earth by the disciples was bound in heaven. Now, this account contains a phrase which perfectly describes what happened in Galatia. We should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turned to God. But as soon as Paul had evangelized the province and departed, a committee of Judaizers came on his heels to undo the work of grace, and the volatile, changeable Galatians were thrown off balance. Paul learned about it and came to their rescue with this epistle. I am a astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ for another absolutely different gospel, which is not another gospel, not a second gospel, for there is only one true gospel, but there are some men who trouble you and desire to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, we know what a moral pervert is, and we must realize that anyone who tempers with the true gospel of the sovereign grace of God is a spiritual pervert. At the thought of this perversion, the Holy Spirit once and again pronounces a curse on the false teacher. Christ said that it would be better for such teachers never to have been born, or that it would be better that a millstone were put around their necks and they were cast into the sea than that they should misteach the Lord's little ones. Even a heavenly angel who thus taught would come under the same curse. Take warning, whoever you may be, who try to mix law with grace and bring the Lord's little ones under bondage to a legalistic system that comes from man instead of teaching the full grace of Christ. Now in verse 10, Paul continues, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now Paul never sought to curry favor with men. He had no desire but that of pleasing God. And surely if he wanted to please men, it was a strange road to take. Since becoming a bond slave of Jesus Christ meant crucifying the flesh and turning away from what was naturally pleasing to men. Verses 11 and 12, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ." This brings us to the great question, what is the gospel? It is the good news that God has been reconciled to man and has turned his face toward man through Jesus Christ. It is the good news that man is brought back to God, not by man's character, works, or religion but by the sovereign grace of God in Christ. And it is the good news that the yoke of the law has been forever broken by the redemptive work of Christ. Salvation is not by grace plus law, or grace plus works, or grace plus anything else, but by grace alone. This is not man's gospel. It is entirely from God. A human gospel would never have a crucifixion to scandalize the Jews, and incur the ridicule of the Gentiles. Paul reminds them that he had not been taught the gospel by any man, least of all by the eleven disciples. He had met Christ on the road to Damascus, had seen him alive, and knew him in person, and it was from Christ alone that he had received the gospel. It would have been impossible for Paul, with his background and training and religion, to have invented such a gospel. To understand what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road, we must review the steps by which he got there. Brought up in Tarsus, hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, he probably never heard of Jesus Christ. He was sent to Jerusalem to round out his education at about the time the infant church was becoming known. The Pharisees who had put Christ to death were faced with a great embarrassment. A group of believers were testifying that Christ had risen from the dead. We can well imagine that when Paul learned that a group of Jews was claiming that it was no longer necessary to go to the temple or to offer sacrifices, his righteous indignation increased to fury. He set out in hot pursuit of these Christians, thinking that he was doing God a favor to rid the earth of them. We can understand Paul only if we realize that he was in the covenant of Abraham, as much saved as was Isaiah or John the Baptist. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. And he wrote to the Philippians, touching the righteousness of the law, blameless. This means that he had been to Jerusalem, that he had offered the blood sacrifices for sin, and that he was covered in this atonement. Thus, he was not only in a covenant relationship with God, but he performed the ceremonies prescribed by God for his people. And then came the experience of the Damascus Road. As we continue our study of this epistle, we shall see how Paul proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that the gospel of salvation by grace alone is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our God and Father, may that be the gospel in which we rely, not in any appeal to our own willpower, not any thought of any merit in ourselves or by anything that we have done ourselves, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to thy mercy thou hast saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So bless it to us and bring it through to the hearts of many that there may be growth in thee. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen.
0: The gospel is the good news that man is brought back to God through Jesus Christ. Salvation is not obtained by Grace Plus Works, but grace alone. And, as Paul teaches, there is no other gospel. If you would like to review today's message and additional teachings by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, you can hear these broadcasts anytime, anywhere around the globe via the Internet. The Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible Real Audio Internet website is accessible by visiting Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals online at www.alliancenet.org. Log on to this week's message entitled, No Other Gospel. An audio copy of today's teaching is also available by calling us toll free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, No Other Gospel, or simply ask for message number Q105. We'd also like to make available to you a complimentary copy of Dr. Barnhouse's booklet entitled, Death, Swallowed Up, in Victory. In this four-chapter booklet, Dr. Barnhouse answers such questions as, What happens the moment you die? Where are the dead right now? Is there such a thing as soul sleep? These and many other questions on the subject of death are addressed with biblical insights. Ask for a free copy for yourself or to share with a friend who might be going through bereavement or struggling with the issues of death. Ask for your free copy of Death Swallowed Up in Victory when you call or write. You may also request a free catalog of all of Dr. Barnhouse's booklets and audio teachings. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insights and wisdom of Reformed theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. If you would like more information on the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, or if you would like to support and further our work, contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103, or call toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Or visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.